What is up, everybody? Welcome into episode 10. We made it to double digits of All Say This with Chris Castellani. I am your host, Chris Castellani. Going to be a bit of a different show today. Uh, first of all, I appreciate the people who uh, gave me some positive feedback and gave Matt positive feedback regarding the Tigers opening day vlog that we put out. I thought that turned out great. I thought that was really fun and really funny. Hopefully, we can do more stuff like that in the future. But for today's show, I do want to talk about something that happened in baseball on Wednesday involving Clayton Kershaw. Very Clayton Kershaw, very controversial uh, moment there that I had some very strong feelings about. But I'm going to spend a majority of the show answering your questions. Not a lot of Tigers talk today. Now, don't get me wrong. Throughout the summer, we are going to be covering the Tigers extensively, obviously. But right now, they're two and four. By the time you're listening to this, they'll either be three and four or two and five. And to be completely honest with you, I just don't have a lot to say right now. Everything I've had to say, I've said on Twitter or in my two-minute, 20-second recaps. Now, we're going to cover them a bunch as the year goes along, but I think that this show will be at its best when it's a little bit diverse, when we're mixing things up, whether it be doing uh, answering your questions like I'm going to be doing today or doing an interview or something like that. I do want to mix things up. The main focus of this show is obviously state of Michigan-based sports, but I also I do want this to be a Chris Castellani podcast as well. Maybe that sounds really narcissistic. I don't mean it to come across that way, but I think there's a lot of Detroit sports podcasts out there. Um, I think that I have something to offer. Maybe I don't. If I don't, then I'm sure the audience will let me know, and I'll, I'll come on here and flail every few episodes. But yeah, that's just giving you a little rundown. Real quick, though, yes, the Tigers, as of the time of this recording, are 2-4. and four. I don't know what happened on uh, Thursday night's game against the Royals. Very sloppy first homestand. The pitching's got to be better. The offense has to be better. The fielders have to be better. I think that they will. No concern right now. There will come a moment in which I am, and probably on Sunday's show, or I'm sorry, on Monday's show, I'll talk a little bit more about, you know, at what point do we get concerned. But let's move on from that for now. I want to talk about something that did happen in baseball on Wednesday. Clayton Kershaw. The best pitcher of his generation, which I saw some arguments about this on Twitter. Stop. Clayton Kershaw is the best pitcher of this generation. I know he's bad in the postseason. But at his best, his numbers in, in like, the heart of his prime, now he he, he kicks Verlander and Scherzer and DeGrom to the curb. Now, I think DeGrom at his best was probably the most dominant, but he he didn't have the longevity that Kershaw had. There was a six, seven year stretch in which Clayton Kershaw was the baddest dude on the planet, except for in October. I I love Clayton Kershaw. He's one of my favorite pitchers of all time. When I was in high school, I used to sneak downstairs because they would often air his starts on MLB Network, and I would sneak downstairs uh, at like 10 p.m. on the East Coast just to watch his starts. That's how much I loved watching him pitch. And on Wednesday, in his first start of the season, after a year in which he did not pitch in the postseason for the Dodgers due to injury, he pitched what could have ended up being the game of his life. Seven innings, no hits, No runs, no walks, 13 strikeouts. He did not hit any batters, which means he had a perfect game going through seven innings and only 80 pitches, and the Dodgers decided to pull him. I was furious when this happened. Furious. In fact, and Matt, you could put the tweet up there. I started a tweet by saying starting pitching is dead. I went off on it. I was really upset by it. And I'll explain those emotions here in a second. It's been 
a day now. I, I have the opportunity to, to decompress and, and, and kind of break things down in a more nuanced way. That It's hard to be nuanced in 280 characters on Twitter, especially when you're reacting that quickly to something that just happened. I need to get a few things out of the way just to make sure people know that I am up to date. I'm aware of the fact Clayton Kershaw has a long injury history. I know he's missed a lot of time over the last several years. I know that this was a truncated three-week spring training in which, from what I heard, he did not throw more than 75 pitches in a start, though it didn't everybody? Well, maybe I missed something. I didn't see a whole lot of 100-pitch starts in spring training. Maybe I missed something. I know he's been injured, and I also know that the Dodgers are in it for the long haul, right? 100% understand that. They are about staying healthy. It's a marathon, not a sprint. You want to get into the postseason and be healthy. And the Los Angeles Dodgers, despite what criticism I'm about to have for them here in a second, are a model of stability. They are the organization that every organization in baseball hopes to be. They have made the postseason, I believe, nine years in a row now. Eight of those years resulting in division championships. Last year, they won 100-plus games, did not win the division, but won in the NLDS against the team that beat them in the NL West, in the Giants, lost in the NLCS. They've had Cy Young winners. They've had MVPs. They have had an amazing, amazing run that is showing no signs of slowing down considering how good the farm system is, how well they draft, and the talent that they currently have at the Major League level. And they have one World Series to show for it. They won it all in the shortened season in 2020. And on Wednesday, they did something that drove me absolutely nuts. I completely understand the Dodgers' mindset regarding that Clayton Kershaw start. Older pitcher. In fact, there's rumors this might even be Kershaw's last season, which that's the case. It'd break my heart. Clayton Kershaw to me is one of those guys that I think will just, I've, I've, I'm predisposed to the idea that he's just going to pitch forever. And I know that's not the case. Verlander is very similar too. I mean, I love Clayton Kershaw. 80 pitches in to his start, seven innings into that start, you pull him with a perfect game. I understand the rationale behind it. I just completely disagree with it. I find it really, really embarrassing. First off, I'm pretty lenient with this. If on the first pitch of the eighth inning, Clayton Kershaw gets brought back out there and hits a batter, pull him. Go ahead and take him out. That's fine. Clayton Kershaw's throwing a no-hitter. He's got three Cy Youngs, an MVP in a World Series in his back pocket. Like, so much if he throws a second no-hitter. Big deal. I get it. Coming off of injury, you want to be light with it. That's okay. But he was rolling. He was averaging just a little bit over 11 pitches per inning. So the idea that he was going to come out there and get into trouble, nobody was asking for them to stretch him to 120, 130 pitches. But give the guy a shot, man. And I I know I saw that Kershaw after the game said, hey, I agreed with the decision. Well, that's part of the reason is because Clayton Kershaw is just a nice guy. And I just, as a fan, that drives me absolutely up the wall. I also think that there's a large, large, large amount of hypocrisy here because one of the reasons, and look, I would trade places with the Dodgers in a second, but one of the reasons why the Dodgers have the best team in baseball every year and yet only have one World Series to show for it is I hate the way they manage their pitchers in the postseason. They are the masters of manipulating the injured list. There were rumors a couple years ago that since the uh, you know in, since they installed the 10-day IL that they were you know, kind of manipulating that to a certain extent. They would put pitchers on that 10-day IL because some because of some random injury when in reality they just wanted to give them rest. I have no problem with that. That's fine. But you got to be consistent because they, they've done this with Kershaw, and I think it's affected his postseason legacy. They did it last year with Scherzer. They've done it with Bueller. They've done it with Urias, where they kind of, you know, are very cautious with these guys in the regular season. Then they get to the postseason, and then they throw all caution to the wind. 
I know it was different circumstances, but I immediately flash back to 2016, a season in which Clayton Kershaw was having a transcendent year and then missed most of July, all of August, and a large majority of September with an injury, comes off of the injured list, and here's how things looked in the postseason for him in 2016 coming off of that injury. 2016, his first start of that postseason, he throws 101 pitches, five innings, that's game one of the NLDS. Three days later, on short rest, he pitches on three days rest, 110 pitches on three days rest, six and two-thirds innings, five earned runs, he was actually better than the final line indicated that game. You get a day off to travel, game five against the Nationals at Nationals Park, he pitches out of the bullpen, seven pitches, but you still have to throw the warm-up pitches, it's still high leverage situations, one day rest, closes that game out, then a few days later pitches game two of the NLCS, seven innings, eighty only 84 pitches, so they, did, they, they didn't let him blow his arm out there necessarily, but then you get to a few days after that, game six, an elimination game, and he got popped. Five runs, four earned over five innings on 93 pitches. They have overused this guy a million different times in the postseason. You had Max Scherzer. Max Scherzer, one of the biggest bulldogs of this generation, who said last year, after getting to the Dodgers in Game 2 of the NLCS against the Braves, my arm was tired. I was I had dead arm in game two of a playoff series. Guys never complain. This is the guy who you get the impression could pitch throw two hundred pitches in a game at some point. Had dead arm. So that that's one thing that bothers me is that the same organization that has overused and lost playoff series because they've overused their starting pitchers, whether it be uh, pitching them as starters or pitching them out of the bullpen, won't let a guy who's had one of the most storied careers of all time at least attempt to finish a perfect game. That that drives me up the wall. And you know what? If at the end of this season the Dodgers are world champions, nobody's going to care. Except I will. Because I think this is ridiculous. This is the biggest problem to me with the sport of baseball. People talk about pace of play. That's an issue. Not saying it isn't. Okay, we got DH in both leagues. Everyone hates Rob Manfred. Gurr. You know, and I don't like him either. The biggest problem with baseball is how pitchers are managed nowadays. Because they are either babied to a point where we don't even see him go past three, four innings. The idea of somebody going third time through the order is a foreign concept. And I think that when you have situations like that where analytics, and I'm a huge fan of analytics, where people abide so religiously by the analytics book that they fail to see things with their actual eyeballs, and when you have situations like what you had with Kershaw on Wednesday, you are depriving fans of potentially the next great pitching performance. Now, the Dodgers don't owe anyone anything. You know what they, their goal is? To win a World Series and make it far in the postseason. I understand that. But you are not wrong and you are not delusional for, as a fan, hoping to see something greater than that. Because when you talk about growing the game, a perfect game, that's a national news story. A no-hitter, that's a regional thing. Baseball people talk about it. A perfect game, something we haven't seen in baseball in 10 years. King Felix was the last one to do it for the Mariners in 2012. You're talking about a perfect game. That's an opportunity to really make put baseball at the forefront, and people avoid it. Because you can't let them go more than 80 pitches? Really? It, it scares me because growing up, I feel old, in my day, back in my day, people used to go to Comerica Park to see Verlander or Scherzer or Fister or Anibal Sanchez or David Price or Rick Porcello. Now it's, you go to see those guys for four innings or until they get third time through the order, then they're taken out. The greatest pitching performance I've ever seen was Madison Bumgarner in the 2014 postseason, especially that World Series. Seven innings of one-run ball in game one of the World Series, nine 
shutout innings in Game 5 of that series. Five shutout innings out of the pen in Game 7 of that series. Amazing, amazing performance. The sad reality is if that happened today, we wouldn't have seen it because he would have gotten pulled after having to face the order a third time. That makes me really sad because there's no other sport in which that happens. And I also got to point out that, yes, there is a chance that Kershaw, had he have come out there for the 8th and maybe even the ninth re-aggravates something and gets injured. I also think for two innings, the chances of that happening are pretty darn minute. Like, I don't think that would be the case. I really don't. And so it's, it's sad to me that that happened because I think that we're missing out on some really great opportunities. And it only happens with pitchers as well. On the same night in which Kershaw got pulled, uh, or the same day in which Kershaw got pulled after you know having a perfect game going through seven innings, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. homered in the first inning off of Garrett Cole. A few innings later, got stepped on by Aaron Hicks. His finger was bleeding profusely. Comes back out there, homers his next at-bat, doubles the at-bat after that, and then homers again for the third time. Had he have been a pitcher, they would have pulled him the second he got stepped on because you got to preserve these guys forever. In an age in which starting pitchers go four innings a start, you have to preserve Clayton Kershaw in game six of the season in a 162-game season, not including the playoffs. Do you not see how asinine that is? I'm getting all angry about it again. I just think it's so silly. And it's not some anti-Dodger thing because real talk, If and this won't happen, Michael Pineda, who's an older pitcher, if he had seven perfect innings and 80 pitches through seven and A.J. pulled him, I'd be saying the same thing. It's not some Dodger thing. I just think we're really missing out on some great opportunities in baseball. This is a prime example of the sport shooting itself in the foot. Well, I should have known that I was going to get a lot more out of that than I expected. I thought that would be like a five-minute segment, but it still bothers me. It's still I'm still frustrated by it. I, I know there's sound logic as to why he was pulled, but just as a fan and as a person who loves baseball and wants to see it grow, I think that's a really ugly look, quite frankly. All right, let's move on to your questions now. Um, The, the names, if, if you're watching this on YouTube, the handles, the names will be shown on screen. Thank you once again, uh, Producer Matt, for making me look good. I'm not going to say every name because I don't want to butcher names. And, hey, the handle's there. Your name is there. I appreciate everyone who uh, sent in questions. I'm not going to get to all of them. And I avoided, for the most part, Tigers questions here because I, I talk about the Tigers enough. Like I said, you got to mix it up a little bit. It keeps people coming back. So we're going to start with this first question. This is from Dustin. If you could place yourself inside of one video game and play the story mode, what game would it be all allow you to have unlimited lives. This one's easy. Batman Arkham City. Batman Arkham City was my jam. Sophomore year of high school after Tennessee's, and I think it was a week after State's, and it was right around as a few weeks after J. Cole dropped his first album, Sideline Story. Cold world, cold life, cold-blooded. I'll be on my shit and look at all the hoes loving. Oh, one of my all-time favorite albums. I remember I would listen to that album. And I would play Batman Arkham City. And it's a weird thing how, like, it's how weird how nostalgia works. Because every time I listen to that album, I think of, like, the collecting those Riddler trophies. Still my favorite video game of all time. Love the combat. That game is the closest I will ever feel to actually being Batman. That's the one I go to. At some point, somebody should do, like, a mini-series or a movie built around that premise. It's one of my favorite Batman stories ever. Movie, comic, video game, ever. Love Arkham City. The next one, favorite restaurant in Lansing. Okay, I'm trying to avoid chains, right? Like, you know, like Red Robin or something or Applebee's. That's not, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Favorite, like, restaurant in Lansing. I really like El Azteco. Um, though I think those, there are two locations there, but they're both, you know, in Lansing. I love Crunchies. Like, do I, Crunchies has really good food. 
would I say it's like the best out the best food in the world? No, but it's like a nine out of ten. It's really good. I just love Crunchy's like the atmosphere and the environment. I think it's like a perfect college bar. The service there, I th- at least in my experiences, I'm sure there's going to be somebody in the comments who's going to be like, the service sucked. The service in my experience has been really good. Okay, I'm also lenient with that stuff. I've I've worked in the service industry and it's not always fun. So that that's the one I, I, that stands out to me. Um, as far as as far as favorites, like if somebody says I'm out in Lansing or East Lansing, what's a place to go to? I would recommend Crunchies, though I'm sure it would be busy. Next one, uh, you create a baseball movie using a current MLB roster. All characters and managers are Muppets except one player. Which team and player do you choose? I would. Uh, the first one that came to mind, there were two, uh, but the first one that came to mind was Shohei Otani. Shohei Otani surrounded by a bunch of Muppets. Now, uh, you could argue that the Los Angeles Angels pitching staff is already full of Muppets. But I would, I think that would be awesome to see. Another one that stood out just because he's such a character, and I like this guy. He's not even like the best player in the world, but he just stands out to me. Uh, Brett Phillips of the Tampa Bay Rays. I think he's so much fun. And him surrounded by a bunch of Muppets I think would be hilarious. Now, I could, I could have easily used this to make a Garrett Cole Kermit the Frog joke for Pete's sakes. Not going to. Garrett Cole's off to a rough start this season. So we'll avoid that. But yeah, those two stand out. I'd probably lean towards Shohei. Next one. If you were commissioner for a day, what are some things you would implement to make baseball content more accessible as well as improving how the game is viewed by younger audiences? That's a really good question. Uh, for one, I'm eliminating blackouts. I'm eliminating the, you know, the, the posting of highlights, all that nonsense. To make the game more accessible, it needs to be more viewable quite frankly. So forget the blackouts. You should be allowed to watch any game whenever you want at any time. I am instituting an MLB equivalent of NFL Red Zone. NFL Red Zone is such a weapon because I don't care how huge of a football fan you are, you can't watch every game at once. Nobody does. You watch your team and then you pick up, you know, piecemeal, little bits and pieces of other games. Unless you have a million televisions and even then you only have two eyeballs. So it's impossible to watch every game at once. I'm I'm instituting the equivalent of NFL Red Zone for Major League Baseball. I think that that would grow the game exponentially. You have the opportunity to pick up highlights, pick up the important parts of the game, while also being able to watch your favorite local team as well. I am getting rid of Rob Manfred's ridiculous notion that players need to market themselves. No, Major League Baseball needs to market players. Say what you will about LeBron James. I'm a fan. But you know what? The NBA early on in his tenure in the league knew this guy was special. And they went out of their way to make sure that he was front and center. And even though the Lakers stink now, every time you turn on Sports Center, and it, this is annoying, admittedly, but every time you turn on ESPN, who's at the front, front and center of everything? The Lakers. LeBron James. It was the same when he was with the Cavs. Make your star players your most marketable players. I actually disagree with the idea that Mike Trout is boring. You could say he's boring, but that doesn't mean he's not marketable. I know people view this guy in his career with rose-colored glasses, but Mike Trout is no more or less boring than Derek Jeter was. The difference is Derek Jeter played on better teams, and he did a better job of marketing himself. Players need to be marketed by Major League Baseball. But beyond that, the one thing that I would do is to make sure that I am taking every young content creator on social media, whether they're an independent contractor or somebody who is just doing it for fun or someone who's a part of a company or owns a company, I am including them very often in my content, whether it be from a national standpoint, having them on Sunday Night Baseball or whatever. I am using their enthusiasm and their content to promote the game of baseball. You know who the biggest weapon in terms of growing baseball is on social media right now? John Boy. 
it, that's like without a doubt. Forget the Astro sign stealing stuff, which people made such a big deal out of with him and the way he responded to it. I, I interviewed him a while back. He's a great guy. I love I love John Boyd. But the fact is, there's people who don't like baseball who consume his content, who watch the breakdowns, who listen to his to his podcast. And you could say the same thing about Foolish Baseball, Fuzzy, Giraffe Neck Mark. Screw it. I'll throw myself in there as well. You take people that are technically outside of the demographic, because baseball is considered an older sport, right? You take people who are outside of that older demographic and you put them front and center and promote them, promote their content. And it shows to the younger crowd that, hey, you can watch this game at a younger age and still find it really fun and really engaging and really enthralling. So those are the few steps that came to mind right away. Good question. Next question. Uh, I know you're an Eminem guy, so give us your top three albums in order or top five songs you pick. That's a good one. I'm going to go top five songs because I think that albums, as I just kind of brought up with with J. Cole and the sideline story, I think that that is more nostalgic-based, like your favorite is kind of the ones you grew up on. But I'll give you top five songs. I'm not including features here. So I'm not including, you know, Smack That or Drop the World or Forever. I'm including songs that came off of his albums or the album to 8 Mile, which I include as as an Eminem soundtrack. Number five. When the Music Stops from the Eminem Show, which is probably my favorite um, Eminem album. Great collab with D12. His opening verse on that completely slaps. Number four from Marshall Mathers LP2. This might be the controversial one. The Monster. Thought him and Rihanna teaming up once again was great. Underrated album. Uh, that was, I think, to me, his last great album. I I would say he probably should have retired after Mathers LP2, but that's a conversation for another day. Number three, Stan, and I'm cheating a little bit because I'm going to include Bad Guy on that list as well because Bad Guy is technically the sequel to Stan. Uh, I'm not going to spoil it. Well, no, I'll spoil it. It's a nine-year album. Is you know Stan's younger brother kind of getting revenge uh, following the events of Stan. Such a clever, well-written song. Two really clever, well-written songs. That one, I think... No, he the first album, uh, Slim Shady LP, was obviously a huge deal. Mathers LP, and I think Stan especially, was the moment where people realized, okay, this guy is not just a, a unique rapper. He's a he's legitimately a genuine voice of, of this this you know late '90s, early 2000s generation. Number two, Till I Collapse from the Eminem Show gets you hyped every time you listen to it. Number two and number one are kind of similar here, but you no, know, you have Nate Dogg on the chorus. Eminem's verses were absolutely awesome on this. I listen to it all the time. It's such a great pump-up song. One of my all-time favorite songs, period. And then number one, this is so cliche and it's so obvious, it's Lose Yourself. I know it's it's Eminem at his absolute best. I think one of the issues that has plagued Marshall in the latter part of his career is that his songs aren't always necessarily well-produced. Lose Yourself has an amazing beat, that amazing opening kind of you know, piano setup, and then you go in the dum 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 that's that's a terrible rendition but you know what I'm talking about with that beat and then obviously just the clever wordplay that people still talk about you know mom's spaghetti's vomit on his sweater already mom's spaghetti he's nervous but on the surface he looks calm and ready to drop bombs and you get you know into the bridge and into the chorus gets you hype every time that that to me is the the ultimate Eminem song an absolute masterpiece next one when did you realize you were beginning to have an audience uh, I would say 2017. The Cleveland rant was a big one. Um, don't show it right now because at some point in the summer, we're coming up on five years since that rant. I'm going to do a whole dissection and analysis of that video. I have not watched it in years. I have a hard time watching it. But right around 2017 was the first time I realized, okay, yeah, my my, my crap might not stink. 
uh, people were responding, and even people, if they were responding negatively, uh, it was an audience, and most people were, res were responding positively, so um, it led to a lot of excitement, but there were a lot of roadblocks in the way, a lot of things that made me nervous and made me think that uh, I was heading down a wrong path, but obviously I found I found my footing uh, with my content, but yeah, I would say right around summer of 2017 was when things really started to roll. Next one, what's your favorite So Bad It's Good or Guilty Pleasure movie? It's such an obvious answer, but it's The Room. I love The Room. I adore The Room. I think it's amazing. I could watch it at, like at, all the time. I've seen it on midnight screenings multiple times when I was at Central Michigan. I just and it's so weird because sometimes the line gets blurred between good, bad, and favorite. Like I acknowledge The Room on every level: acting, writing, uh, just f direction, the way the movie's filmed, between both digital shooting it on digital and on film. The backgrounds, the cinematography, everything about it is horrific. And yet, there's Academy Award-winning dramas that I've given 9 out of 10s to that I would not watch again. But I've seen The Room multiple times. It's where it's why I watch the movie The Disaster Artist. It's one of my favorite films about the making of The Room because it just shows that you can make something that is well-intentioned but awful and yet somehow meaningful. Like, I remember The Room. I, what like uh, Nomadland won the Oscar in 2021 for Best Picture. More people in 10 years will be talking about The Room than they will Nomadland. So in a way, Tommy Wiseau not only accomplished his goal, he exceeded those expectations. Because he always said the reason the movie got released when it did was, oh, I want it to be nominated for Academy Award. Like it, And hey, man, it turned out all right. Because they made a movie about that movie, and it won Golden Globes. Ex you know, just uh, such a bizarre bizarre anomaly uh, the room was next one how's the dating scene brother i think you should start looking for a girlfriend at the tiger games if a woman can love the tigers in this current state she's a keeper i agree with that second part uh, i don't know if this is a real question or if they're trolling um i don't i don't have any issues opening up about this stuff i, I find it weird like i'm not a celebrity but i find it weird when celebrities like get asked like who are you dating and they go Ugh! like they get all uncomfortable um i'm single i've been single for uh, a long time. It's where I'm such like on camera. I'm such an extrovert, but I'm actually in person a very shy, like unsure of himself person. Like I don't know how to play that game. I'm not. I'm I'm really really bad at that. So you know, I, I've I've kind of given up on the idea of you know anything really like materializing. Uh, but you know, hopefully a miracle happens one day. That's the best you can hope for. But um, I don't know why. Do you know anybody? Next question. Uh, assuming you're a Detroit sports fan beyond the Tigers. Uh, who would you want to see win a championship first, Lions, Red Wings, or Pistons? The answer is the Lions because that would be Detroit's championship. Much like the Browns in Cleveland, the Lions winning the Super Bowl would be the end-all, be-all for everything. Now, for me, as this person brought up, it's the Tigers. That's my championship. That's all I want to see before I die. But I know, based on, you know, from a consensus standpoint, the city of Detroit wants to see the Lions get it done. Uh, I, and that's the one. I do want to be alive in my lifetime to see that. To, to be completely honest, and I feel bad because I think in a few questions here I get a Red Wings question. It might even be the next one. But it doesn't really matter to me if the Pistons or Red Wings don't win a championship for the rest of my life. I, I just, like, I, w I wouldn't die a sad man if that doesn't happen. In fact, I've already seen them both do it in my lifetime, so maybe that's part of the reason. But to see the Lions win it all, to see how the, not just the city, but the entire state would react to that. That would really be something. So I, I would go with them. And yes, the next question is about the Wings. Why no love for the Red Wings, not a hockey guy? Here's the thing. I, I think there's this misconception on the internet that if you're not a diehard fan of something, it means you don't like it. That's not the case. 
I like hockey. I think hockey is a very exciting sport. I have no, like, I have more issues, I think, with the NBA just as a product, as a brand, than I do with the National uh, Hockey League. The problem is I'm just not super knowledgeable about hockey. I don't watch much hockey. Now, in the summer, if there's nothing else on, I'll watch a hockey game and I'll get really into it. In fact, when the Red Wings were really rolling, you know, when I was growing up, 2007 to 2012, 13, I did get really into the the, the Red Wings. I remember Datsuk and, and Zetterberg and, and Osgood. You know, they had some really, really great players. I, I just... I'm not super knowledgeable about hockey, and I think that the one thing I can do with my content, and I've tried to do with my content, is just just be genuine. Don't try to be phony. Don't try to force anything. And I think as an audience, all of you are better off having me avoid talking about something that I don't know about than pretending I know what I'm saying. Now, if the day comes where the Red Wings get really good again, I'll come on here, and I may discuss it a little bit, but... Of the four major sports, it's the one I'm the least knowledgeable knowledgeable about, and it's for that reason why I just don't talk about them that much. It's no personal ill will. I like the Red Wings. They are, they're one of the most, you could argue, the most important hockey team or hockey organization of all time. I'm just kind of, you know, I just kind of shrug my shoulders at them right now, but I know they're trending in the right direction. Uh, the next one, what is the history of the tattoo on the arm? All right, let's see. I'm holding my mic here. Uh, the tattoo is the song Iris by the Goo Goo Dolls. Excuse my armpit hair. I apologize. Uh, when everything's made to be broken, I just want you to know who I am. That's my favorite song of all time. Iris by the Goo Goo Dolls. I got this my freshman year of college in December. Um, with I was with my buddy Brennan, and uh, we were we were sober. This was a conscious decision. I I knew I wanted to get a tattoo for a while. I may get another one at some point, but um, yeah, this it's my favorite song of all time. And it's a motto regarding kind of just how I like to live my life, which is, look, I'm not I'm not always going to be perfect. I'm going to be fragile. I'm going to be sensitive. But at least with my content and with how I express myself, I get people out there to know the real me. I'm not going to be phony with anything. So, um, yeah, it's weird because I'm not even the biggest Goo Goo Dolls fan. They just wrote a perfect, perfect song. And um and now it is forever ingrained on my right bicep. All right, last question here. How do you become a Michigan guy growing up in the 517? Yeah, I get this question a lot. I guess I've, I've talked about it, but I've never really like fully answered it. It's it's very simple. Man. My dad went to Michigan. I I just liked them growing up. There wasn't some massive shift where I'm like, oh, I'm just, I just hate Michigan State so much. No, I just I fell in love with the Michigan football tradition, and obviously you know, Michigan basketball has been a huge part of my life, and I think subconsciously, I probably didn't realize it at the time. I just, I just like going against the grain, not in a way that trolls people. Just that's just how I, how I am. And while it hasn't been easy, in fact, I would argue in my lifetime, I wouldn't even argue. I think it's a fact that in my lifetime, it's been harder to be a Michigan fan than it is a Michigan State fan. I would do it all over again because I think it's done wonders for my content. I one of the things I'm proudest of is the fact that I have a lot of different people from a lot of different fan bases who follow me and I can be objective and I don't have a lot of hate in my heart. Now I get frustrated and I get angry and sometimes, you know, fan bases do bother me, but every fan base is full of idiots. Just the way that every fan base is full of really smart people, you know? The world is like that. It's not just fan bases. So I appreciate the fact that I can grow up around here, that I can go to a bar in East Lansing and people don't throw drinks in my face and tell me that I suck or give me the finger. You know, I, I, I like the fact that this is still home 
I just root for a different team. So, yeah, good questions today. This actually turned out really well, I feel like. So, yeah, that'll do it uh, for this show. You can follow me on Twitter at Castellani2014 while you're at it. If you're watching this on YouTube, hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. Let's get those watch hours up, up, up. And, 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 we are on Apple Podcasts. We are on Spotify. You can find us on those platforms as well if you want to listen to me while you're driving home from work or to work or you want to listen while you're working out or doing whatever the heck you want to do. You're welcome to hear this podcast in an audio-only platform if you so choose. Also, and this is tentatively scheduled, but I think it's happening, I will be on Monday on Money Shots uh, with uh, Megan and Kelly doing their show talking. That's uh, Monday is their baseball show. I love those two. I think they're great. I think they're great at Barstool. Megan's like, which is one of my favorite people, period. So yeah, we'll be talking about that uh, probably on Monday. So follow me there. Have a good one, everybody. Peace and happiness. 